Well, if you uh, do have a Bible with you this morning or you've got your sheet in front of you, uh, we're just going to turn back to that passage uh, this morning for a few moments in John chapter 11. And I want to consider a few verses that are found in the middle of that passage. Um, Before we uh, look at those verses, though, in the middle of that passage, um, I think it's just worth saying, isn't it, that this passage that we read is a wonderful uh, account of perhaps the greatest miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ ever did. The greatest miracle he ever did in his earthly ministry. I'm sure you know that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was here on the earth, he raised three people to life again. You can read about those in the Gospels. He raised Jairus' daughter to life again. He raised the widow of Nain's son. And then here in John chapter 11, he raised Lazarus. And uh, they're amazing accounts. The widow of Nain's son had been dead for a few hours. Jairus' daughter had been dead for a few minutes. But here, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, on each occasion, he raised them to new life. And we read this this account here, how Lazarus, he had been sick. In verse 1 there, we read that, and how the Lord Jesus Christ had heard about this news, that his friend Lazarus, the one that he loved, was ill. And it clearly was, obviously, not just, uh, you know, some passing illness, because Lazarus died from it. And we read there how Jesus delayed going to see Lazarus. And... We read there how eventually he decided to go and to go and see Lazarus. And of course, by that point, he was already dead when he arrives at the scene. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And he has this conversation with Martha and then later on with Mary. And then eventually he arrives at the tomb where Lazarus has been buried. And we have that wonderful moment where Jesus looks at this scene of death and he weeps. The only time we read of Christ weeping in Scripture in in this sense is the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35 there. Jesus wept and he weeps and he cries as he looks at this scene of death around him. But then he comes to that point where he stands before the tomb in verse 43 and he shouts out, Lazarus, come forth! And amazingly, he who had been dead for four days was now alive and he was alive because Christ had raised him from the dead and Lazarus had new life. But in the middle of this passage, in verses 25, 26 and 27, we have verses that speak of having life in Christ. Verses that detail for us how we, this morning, may have life in Christ. Just read those words with me there. It says this. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So this morning, I just want to look at this subject of life in Christ. Life in Christ. And I want to notice four things this morning from these few verses here. And uh, i just say at the very beginning, in case you begin to panic a bit later on, my first point is longer than the other three, okay? 
So when we get to the end of the first point, I don't want you to think, goodness me, we've got another three to go. But the first thing I want you to notice this morning from these verses is an amazing claim. An amazing claim. And that's there in verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, if you know anything about uh, the Gospel of John, I'm sure you'll be aware that there's seven statements like this one that begin, I am. Seven major statements anyway. And each of these seven sayings begins with these two words, I am. For example, in John chapter 6 and verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In the previous chapter, we have two. He says that he is the door. I am the door of the sheep in verse 7. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And there's seven of these major statements in the Gospel of John that begin with these words, I am. And this here is the fifth of these sayings. And and as the Lord Jesus Christ is saying these words, as he says, I am the resurrection and the life, or I am the bread of life, or I am the door, those around him would have understood the importance of those two words at the very beginning. Those words, I am. Why? Well, because those were the two words that were used as a name for God. They were used in the Old Testament to speak of the only true and living God. It was a name that was given to Moses at the burning bush. Moses had asked, what is your name? And God had said, I am. You see, God is not an I was God, a God that is dead. He's not an I will be God. He is an I am God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And so as Jesus speaks here to Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's claiming to be God. He's saying to Martha, I am God. But then he goes even further than that in this this amazing claim, because not only is he saying, I am God, but he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he uses two words here, you notice, resurrection and life and let's just consider them for a moment in reverse order think of the word life there in one sense we don't really need to explain the word life do we we're all familiar with what life is life is what distinguishes animals and creatures and plants from inorganic matter that doesn't have life creatures that possess life have the capacity to grow they have the capacity to reproduce and so on And we have life, don't we? This morning we have life, we have existence. To turn it round, perhaps to think of it in a different way, life is the opposite of death. Someone who is dead is incapable of doing anything, are they? They cannot see, they cannot hear, they cannot think, they cannot move, there's nothing that they can do. You know, you can shout at a a dead body all you like. But nothing will happen. Why? Because there's no life. And so the Lord Jesus Christ says to Martha, here, look, I am life. I'm the opposite of death. And then he uses this other word, resurrection. And of course, resurrection is a word that's linked to life because someone who has been dead and then who has been raised, been resurrected, now has life. And what Christ is saying here by joining these two words together is that as God, as the one who is the great I am, I am he who is the giver of life. 
I am the one who sustains all life. You see, all life flows from Jesus Christ. He is the source, the originator of life. He's the only one who's able to take something that was dead and breathe new life into it. He is the one who is the resurrection and the life. Now the Bible tells us all the way through that Jesus Christ is the source of life. There's lots of places. It tells us, for example, that he is the fountain of life. It tells us that he is the prince of life. It tells us that he is the word of life. Over and over and over again we're told in the scriptures that life is found in Christ. You know, the very next of these I am sayings in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And right back at the beginning of this gospel in John chapter 1, we are told that in him was life. In chapter 1 and verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. In actual fact, it was impossible for Christ's life to be taken from him. In the previous chapters, the one that we're looking at in John chapter 10, Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. He says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to to take it again. You see, Jesus is the only man who, had it been his Father's will, never needed to die. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus is the only person in human history who was not constantly looking over their shoulder, wondering when they were going to die. Not like us. We live, don't we, every day wondering when the last enemy death will come knocking for us. It could be when we're young. It could be, of course, when we're old. Death could come at a time of sickness or it could strike suddenly in an accident. None of us knows, do we? But it all comes. It comes for all of us, doesn't it? But for Christ. Christ is life. Death has no power over Christ. Because he is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus says here, look, not only am I the source of all life... But life comes through me alone. He says, I am. There is no other place where you may find life. He's the only source of life, the only one. It's God, it's Christ alone who originates life. The fact that you are here this morning, that you've got existence, that you've got life, is because Christ has given it to you. But we could just go a little bit further here. Because Jesus is not just speaking here of physical life. But he's also speaking of spiritual life. There's more to life than the here and now. There's a life to come. There's an eternal world which is actually much more substantial than this world. This world is growing older and older and this world is decaying. One day we're told that this world will be folded up like an old garment... The heavens will pass away, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The Bible says that the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And you see, this is the vital point that this, this verse is teaching us, is that, this is that Christ can give us spiritual life. This is the key to this, this whole passage. 
Because Christ is, is speaking here that about spiritual life. He can give the dead spiritual life. You know, we have physical life this morning. Yes. But the Bible tells us that spiritually, we're dead. Spiritually, we're like the corpse of Lazarus, lying, rotting, stinking in a tomb. We have no spiritual sight to see God. We have no spiritual hearing to hear his voice. We don't, as it were, have spiritual movement to be able to come to God. We're spiritually dead. Remember the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he was saying this was the testimony of the church in Ephesus. He said to them, do you remember that you were dead in trespasses and sins? And friends, this morning, this is the description of each one of us. In our sins, we're dead. And in a sense, it gets worse because not only are we spiritually dead, but we will also have to face eternal death. You see, the Bible always speaks about life and death in three ways. It speaks of physical life and physical death. It speaks of spiritual life and spiritual death. But then it speaks of eternal life and eternal death. And those who are spiritually dead, who die in their sins, will then have to face that eternal death. But Jesus says to Martha, here, look, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the originator of all life, and that includes spiritual life. I am the one who has the power to, to raise those who are spiritually dead to newness of life. Friends, this morning, if you want spiritual life, if you want to know that you'll have life in heaven and you will not have to face that, that eternal death, then you need to realize it only comes through Christ. The only source of such spiritual life is found in Jesus Christ. And do we see then this amazing claim? Here is Christ, the eternal God, and he says, look, I am the resurrection and the life. Me, personally. All life comes and emanates from me. It's a wonderful claim, isn't it? This is what Christ is saying. Life comes through Jesus Christ. Now we come on to our second point this morning. And our second point is this, a wonderful promise. You notice what the verse goes on to say. Jesus said unto I am the resurrection and the life. But then he gives this wonderful promise. Well really it's two promises uh, joined together. He says, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. It's an amazing uh, and wonderful promise that he now makes here. He's just made this claim, look, I am God, and you'll find only life in me because I'm the resurrection and the life. But now I'm going to give you a promise. Now, to understand these promises here, we need to use that key from the first parts of the verse. And, and, of course, the key was that Christ is speaking about here of spiritual life predominantly and spiritual death. And so, therefore, the first part of this promise in verse 25, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We could simply say it's like this. He or she that believes in Jesus Christ, even though they were spiritually dead before, dead in their sins, dead in their trespasses, they will have spiritual life. And not only that, but when they die physically in this world, even though they were dead... 
They will continue to live spiritually. They will live with Christ in heaven. That's the first part of the promise. Well, the second part of the promise in verse 26, he says, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. In other words, Jesus says here, look, those who have this spiritual life because they're trusting and believing in me will never die eternally. They'll never have to face that eternal death. And of course, the Bible says that that place of eternal death is a place of torment, it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's a place of woe, a place that's described as hell. But he says, look, instead they have eternal life. It's a life of pure and perfect, unalloyed joy in the presence of Christ. Do you know the original Greek that the Bible was written in actually says this here. It says, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never, never die. It's emphatic. And when you put these two sentences, these two wonderful promises together, it's promises of eternal life, life beyond the grave. It's promises to us of escaping eternal death and destruction. It's a promise of heaven. A place where we're just told there are pleasures forevermore. But did you notice something? There's, an, a, there's a condition attached to the promises. You see, these promises are not just for everyone. It's not there's eternal life in Christ for everyone. But you notice what he says there. He says, he that believeth in me. There's the condition. If you want to have eternal life, then you must believe in Christ. See, the only way that we can go from death to life is if we lay hold of Christ by faith. We have to trust him and believe in him. And friends, this morning, do you know that's the whole reason why Christ came into this world? It's the reason that he went to the cross. It's the reason why he died. It's the reason why he shed his blood. It's the reason why we're here this morning, because Christ, not only was he buried and he rose again from the dead, and the whole purpose of all of that was so that we might have life. Remember what he said in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He's come so that you might have spiritual life, friends, this morning. He's come so that if you trust in him, you no longer have to fear the grave, you no longer have to fear eternal torments. He says, believe in me. And to emphasize it, he says it twice in those verses. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, shall never, never die. Friends, there's the condition. If you want to have this spiritual life, you need to believe. And it's a belief, he says, in me. It's in Christ. It's not trusting in a church. It's not trusting in a baptism. It's not trusting in any of these things. It's trusting in Christ. We've seen then these two things. We've seen this amazing claim, and we've seen these wonderful promises, but notice thirdly, a searching question. Because you notice what Jesus says there. He doesn't just throw these statements out and then leave it there. He turns to Martha, and he asks this wonderful question. He says to her, believest thou this? Martha, do you believe? 
Do you believe that I am the living God, Martha? Do you believe that I and I alone can provide you with life, spiritual life, eternal life? Do you believe, Martha, that I am the resurrection and the life? This is a searching question, isn't it? It's a vital question. Did you notice what Jesus didn't say to her? He didn't say to her, do you understand, Martha? There's lots of people who can read the Bible and they understand what it says. They understand the words. They understand what the Bible is teaching. They understand, for example, that Jesus claims to be the Son of God. They understand that he alone can give life. They understand that Christ died on the cross. They understand that he rose again from the dead. They understand all of these things. But friends, this morning there's a vast difference between understanding something and believing it. You know, every general election, the various political parties, they throw out their manifestos, don't they? And they put in these manifestos their ideas, their plans, their promises, and what they're going to do should you vote for them, and they come into power. Now, if you read those manifestos, do you understand them? Yes. Do you understand their policies? Well, mostly. But do you believe them? Well, I think most of us here have to say probably not. Do we believe the promises they lay down? Well, you have to only have to look at the history of politicians, don't you, to realize they're not believable, they're not trustworthy. But Christ says here, look, it's not do you understand what I'm saying, but do you believe? He says, are you trusting in me? Jesus uses the, the singular here as well. It's very interesting. He says, do you believe? Not, not you in a general sense, but he turns to Martha and he says, do you individually believe, Martha? Now, and he says to her, it doesn't really matter what everyone else thinks this morning. It doesn't matter what the Jews who are mourning near to you think. It doesn't matter what your sister Mary thinks. I'm not concerned about what the, the Pharisees and everyone else around is thinking. I want to know, do you believe? And friends, this is a, a question that each one of us must answer. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe? Don't look at the person in the row in front or the row behind. Don't look at the person to your side. Ask yourself the question, do I believe in Christ? Do I know that he is life and I have life in him? You know, that word believe there in the question that Christ asks, it means to, that you see something and you see it as being absolutely true. And it's so true that it's utterly dependable and trustworthy. It's so trustworthy that you would place all your confidence in it. You would hang off it. You would place all your faith in it. That's what it means to believe. And the question that I then ask myself this morning is, how do we know that Christ is dependable and trustworthy? Well, I can answer that in two ways this morning. And the first way is this, because Christ, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And more importantly of all, he raised himself from the dead. Is what he's saying true? Yes, he is the resurrection and the life, because he rose triumphantly from the grave. You see, he proved that what he was saying was true about him. You see, Christ is trustworthy and he's dependable. But the second way that I can answer that question, whether Christ is trustworthy, whether he is dependable, is because he's raised me. 
And I look around this morning and I can see some here this morning and and you can testify of this in your own lives too. Again, I'm not speaking here about physical death, I'm speaking about spiritual death. You know, spiritually, I had no life. Spiritually, I could not see. Spiritually, I could not feel and hear the voice of Christ. I had no concern for him, but there was a day when I heard Christ speaking. I heard that there was life in him. I heard there was this place called hell and there was this eternal death and God was gracious to me and like Lazarus, he said to me, come forth. And on that day I repented of my sin and I trusted in Christ and I went from death to life. Spiritual death to spiritual life. I know that he can do it because he's done it in my own heart. Let me ask you this morning, but what about you? Do you believe? Do you trust in Christ? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12, that verse that we were saying to the boys and girls, he that hath the Son hath life. But he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Well, then we've seen these three things this morning, but I want you to notice lastly and very quickly this morning, at the end here, there's a personal confession. You see, Christ has made this amazing claim. He's given these wonderful promises. And then he asks this searching question. And the answer is, well, how will Martha respond? And you notice there in verse 27, she gives the most beautiful and the most wonderful personal confession. I don't want to look at this confession in in detail this morning. But you notice that it's deeply personal. Do you notice what she says there? She says, yea, Lord, I believe. And friends, this morning, this is the key to having life in Christ. We must believe in him. We must personally know it in our hearts and we must personally confess it with our mouths. You see, I cannot believe in Christ for you. And your your parents can't believe in Christ for you. And your Christian friend cannot believe in Christ for you. Now, if you want to have this abundant life, then you must come personally, like Martha, and say, Yea, Lord, I believe. I'm trusting in you. See, we must come and say, a bit like the hymn writer, I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee, trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. Do you know, in John chapter 5, actually all the way through John's gospel, John brings out this point. Do you know what? You need to come, you need to trust in Christ He and he alone has life. In actual fact, you go to the very end of the book, at the end of the resurrection, he says that these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. This is the reason why he wrote the gospel, so that you might have life by believing in Jesus Christ. But there's a sad moment in John chapter 5. Because Christ was going round and he was preaching the kingdom of God and he was telling people that you must repent and believe the gospel and trust in him for life. But he says this in John chapter 5, he says, Ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. You see, there was those who were around the Lord Jesus Christ who heard his glorious words. They heard, for example, that he was the bread of life. They heard that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He heard, for example, that he is the resurrection and the life. But they wouldn't come. They rejected him. 
They wouldn't come that they might have life. And you see, Christ, he lamented this. But friends, what about you this morning? Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he rose again. He rose again so that we might have life. But will you come? And will you trust? And will you believe in him? Well, as I close this morning, let me ask you, how will you leave this place this morning? Will you leave dead, spiritually dead, dead in your sins? Or will you leave with life? Life in the Lord Jesus Christ.